0: Close your eyes, it's half past midnight, and you're listening to The Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to The Ghost Story Guys, I'm Brett in store, I'm Ian Gibbs, and this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in, this is episode number 73. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you doing Ian? I'm well, Brandon. How are you doing? I am good. I'm looking forward to getting into this week's topic or this episode's topic, which are uh, road trips to strange places. Places I've, that may or may not be there. <laughs>
1: I've done those. Well, no, just the strange places. Well, yeah,
0: strange places very much so. But before we go there, how you been?
1: Um, pretty good. I had a cold all weekend and yeah, you almost died the weekend before last. I know. And then you had a cold, very... which I guess is the direction you want to go. <laughs> I'm in very fragile health.
0: Apparently, uh, Yeah, like apparently. an elderly person. If, if you want to hear how Ian almost died. <laughs> You have to listen to the Cabin Fever
1: episode oh for patrons my only. Oh god, I can't believe you used my near-death experience to shill the patron. I have no shame. You, at you all. really don't. I don't. I don't. Since you
0: wrote that book. A Strange Little Place, available everywhere, fine books you sold. There you go. I got my royalty check the other day for Ooh. the first half of the year. How much? Oh, uh, I, I don't want you to be jealous. Okay.
1: $86. <laughs> <laughs> I got my access copyright check. Oh, really? How much? Uh, $65. Motherfucker. Well, that's just from libraries buying the book. I, I should be getting that at some point. Yeah. Last year's check was bigger because, y- yeah. you know, it was newer. I think that was like three or $400 actually. Yeah. Mine was two. That's yeah. fine. It's fine. 200. That's great. Y- shut up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say anything without sounding condescending at this it's, point. Can
0: it's, I? No, not really. Okay. No. But anyways, if you want to hear how Ian died because he's condescending and God has judged him. <laughs> Head on over to patreon.com slash ghost guys, and you can get access to all of our bonus episodes. We had a, I think our, our bonus episode for November was 45 minutes long. Wow. Yeah. It was a chat with, uh, Kev Eustis who was on episode 72. He's so great. Oh, he was fantastic. So again, that's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. If you want to get access to all our bonus content. As for me, there is not much new. I, I'm still kind of rocking the unemployment thing. No <laughs> oh, good. Well, you're uh, yeah. making it look good. Well, thank you. Thank you're you welcome. very much. I do have kind of a fun story, though. Oh, okay. Tell me. So I learned that the survival instinct, which I believe in myself is quite well-honed, right. is not a
1: universal phenomenon. Okay. First of all, no. I disagree. <laughs> Your survival instinct sucks. You put yourself in dangerous situations with armed gunmen on a semi-regular basis. So no. No. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'd say semi-regular, but there more having... than once is semi-regular. Well, fair, okay. Yeah. But
0: this particular occasion, I happened to be at the gym, and if you're new to the show, the gym I work out at is it's open 24 hours, so I'm usually there 11 or 12 at night, and it's it's surprisingly busy. It, it was taken over by new management and actually turned into a. A reasonable place. Oh no, I know. So
1: now it's like a thriving business. It is. People yeah. want to go to
0: instead of just uh, you know like drug dealers and cab drivers <laughs> hanging out there at midnight. You know, guys used to walk into the darkened fitness room with a duffel bag. Yeah, someone else would walk in, and then a couple minutes later they'd walk out going separate directions. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's
1: not fishy or totally
0: at all. legit. Uh, but anyway, so I was at the gym doing my thing, and I, I, I was I was doing deadlifts, and I noticed that everything was getting kind of gray.
1: Oh no! And
0: I thought, oh god, what's what's wrong with me? You know, because I'm a hypochondriac, so something's wrong with me. Right. I thought, wait, wait. So I stepped out of the little sort of enclosed fitness area I was yeah.
1: in. No, it's smoke. Oh <gasps> No. Enough of it that it's kind of, if I blow at it, it's rolling. Okay, the... wait, there are no alarms going off at this point? No. Oh, that's safe.
0: And now there's like eight other people in the gym, including a couple people doing a photo shoot. Right. At the other end. But no one notices. What? And then this other guy who's kind of built like me, like a well-intentioned fire hydrant. Um, he comes over and he says, you see that? I said, yeah. Okay. So it's not just me.
1: <laughs> well, you thought you were having some kind of psychotic episode involving smoke. <laughs> well, that I kind of did.
0: And he did too. And so me and this dude, uh, were are walking around and just sniffing the air. We must've looked like a couple of idiots. <laughs> sniffing the air, trying to figure out what is making this... This smoke. Right. Finally, I think, you know what? I'm not going to call the fire department. That seems like a lot.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, it's one of those well, things. Well, there's unexplained fire, but I don't want to bother anyone. Well, that's the thing. I
0: didn't see fire. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay. I'll, they have 24-hour security. They usually come in and check. But this, it had been 40 minutes. Right. No one had come in. I, lay down on, I sit down on the bench press bench, and all of a sudden, the music, which has been playing over the speakers, stops, and you hear this buzzing sound and almost like a crossed wire and me and this guy look at each other and he said you heard that i said yeah i heard that i said that sounds like wiring he's like yep that sounds like wiring might be time to go so we pack up all our shit and we left but everyone else was still working out wow they were just and they were walking through it no one was looking they were just what? pumping iron and i don't know man okay so what happened i ended up calling the not fire not emergency line right And the fire department said, well, we're coming. And I said, well, there are people here to let you in. And I left. Because I felt awkward calling the fire department. Because I thought, because the thing is, no one was reacting. Right. And I thought, am I being crazy? I love it. Is there some kind
1: of smoke therapy thing I'm missing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't want this to be my
0: drama. So I did, like I said, I called it in. But I thought, man, I'm just, I'm getting the fuck out of here. You called
1: it in, but you didn't stay long enough to be involved. Nope. I I don't know.
0: Perfect. It's the
1: perfect hybrid of the situation. I want
0: no part of this. That's right. So yeah, Mm. I I ended up going back on Friday. The gym was still there. And (laughs) this had happened on a Wednesday night. And the other dude was there too. And we looked at each other and said, so I I guess it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no one else moved. And I thought, okay, this, this survival instinct is not real sharp. No. Not real sharp. So anyways, yes. Well, that, I'm
1: glad it all worked out and your gym was still there. Thank you. Yes, because I quite like that gym. Oh, good. Yes. It's That's fo- the important part of the story. It's not that the place didn't burn down and no lives were lost. No, no. It's I'm really quite fond of that gym. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: my convenience is
1: paramount above all things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Before we have any more insight into what I'm really like, we should probably move on. Dark insight. Yes. Yeah. Coming up after the break, road tripping the great beyond. Welcome back. As I said before the break, on this episode, we're telling stories about strange road trips, road trips that go to places
1: that maybe aren't there when you try to go back. And have you ever had an experience like that? I only had one experience like that. At one point in my life, I would drive across the prairies quite a bit. And I went through one town where there was this amazing bakery with the best jelly donuts I've ever had in my life course it revolves around food, right? Of course. And it was a long trip. I stopped in and got like 3 donuts because I'm a pig. Ate them as I was driving and I was I was really just like transported. It was like these are the best donuts I have ever had. And I would always drive through that same town and I never found the bakery again. That's sad. It was so weird. So until I moved here and found the bakery in Sydney with the second best jelly donuts in all the land. Right. Um I was pretty pretty upset about that. I feel like bakeries are kind of a risky proposition. I feel like they go under pretty fast. Well, the one in Sid- Sydney has been there a very long time, like 30 years or something. Right. So. But I, f-
0: I find that that's kind of it. You've yeah. got
1: ones that have been there forever. Oh yeah, they're either there forever or they're there for about an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, yeah.
0: there's a, that crust place I think it's called up on Ford Street. Oh yeah, that place back when I could when I could eat dairy, that place was amazing. But it's so expensive. Well, it is expensive. Yeah, I wouldn't go there very it's often. It's like
1: hipster bakery.
0: But you, so I would find myself thinking, how much longer is this going to be here? Because it's yes. it was almost too much. Yes. Whereas but... the, the Dutch bakery a couple doors down, very not flashy, very basic, serving the same desserts the last four hundred and twelve. Four hundred
1: and twelve years. years, yes. And still, yeah. still there, yeah. Still solid. And it's funny because they're not that good. No, but they're there. They're very sweet. And they're consistent. And they're consistently yep. overly sweet. I do, however, a friend of mine said you have to try their croquettes.
0: Oh, yeah, those things are good. I In, 0, in 08, after Nick went home, I had to, uh, I was sort of living here by myself. Right. And so I, I started spending a lot more time at the Dutch bakery than I want to admit. <laughs> to the point where the other re- regulars would recognize me. No. And the waitresses
1: knew me. Oh, Brandon, that is not where you want to be a regular. No, exactly. But I had many, many a a (laughs) croquette. I love it. They are very good. Yes.
0: As for weird road trips, I've only had really one situation where I went to a place. It was really kind of novel. Right. But we could never
1: find it again. Oh, where was it?
0: Well, it was somewhere in the interior of BC. I want to say near Armstrong-ish. Okay. But I was driving with a friend. His his partner was at the time, she was going to uh, hairdressing school in Kelowna. Okay. Which, for those of you who don't know, it's a city of about 70,000, 80,000 people in the interior of BC. And on the way there, we we took the back roads. And we were killing time. We had, you know, just kind of adventuring around. I was single and fancy free. (laughs) And we passed this sign that said Bear
1: Farm. It sounds like a certain kind of lumberjacks nightclub. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> You'd have a friend who's told you about these yeah, places? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, My friend mm-hmm. Ian Gipshit. Yeah, nice, nice, yeah. <laughs> so they're like farming bears?
0: We don't know. There was just a sign that said bear farm. And, and we, we were passing and we said, we should go see what the... What the hell that is. Yeah. And we just, we didn't because we thought, ah, you know, whatever. What are we going to see? Like knock up, go up, knock on the door and say, can we see your bears? Can we
1: see your bears?
0: But uh finally, we, we got to where we were going and we, we told his partner about this. So when we were heading back, she wanted to see it. Of course. So we went back the same way a couple days later and could not find it again. We took the same road. Wow, and it was only a few days later, but this place was not there. What? Yeah, and, and I, I'm I'm assuming it must have been on a road that we didn't turn down, but we forgot we turned down. I I don't know, but the
1: bear farm was gone. So it's either a farm where they're farming bears, like breeding bears and farming them, or which is sounds like some Jurassic Park it, level crazy. It craziness. does. It does. That's a bad or, idea. Or or we're talking like Bernstein Bears level, where the bears are doing. The actual farming. Oh, now that I'd want to see. Uh, That I would pay to see. Yep, absolutely. You got bears and like overalls driving tractors, I'm in. Like 100%. (laughs) But still with the
0: merciless nature of real bears. Yes. It's it's like hostile, but with bears. Yeah, like they try and raise pigs and damn it, they ate them all. Like, I think that would be amazing. (laughs) Well, we were never able to find out. It was just gone. I'm very sad. But the running joke then became that we one day we would... One day you'd find the bear farm. Well, yeah, and and that we joked like that's when you went crazy. Right. You found the bear farm. As we started we, we started calling going crazy, going to the bear farm. That's awesome. And it became this running joke that we would be driving that road, look in our rearview mirror, and we'd see a, a bear in a clown suit holding some balloons. Perfect. And just waving. Waving. <laughs> and then you'd know. And yeah. And, it sounds and like an episode of The Twilight Zone. It kind of was. Yeah. And then I, I had this um, terrible old... Um, uh, caller ID phone like a landline yeah kids people once had phones plugged in wires the walls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh but eventually it stopped working and so every time the caller ID w- came up it just said error the running joke became that no error is the cl- the bear from the bear farm he's a clown nice and so error to the clown bear error. from the bear farm became a sort of this running joke that's awesome so that that's really my only my only experience with with the uh, you know, places that are there, but are not. Well, I'm just intrigued by what they meant by bear farm. I will never know. Unless someone out there is from the interior. They saw that sign around the same time we did. Please tell us. Please tell us.
1: I must know. Or if you have another theory that it's not just farming bears or bears doing the farming. If you have a third theory, I would like to hear it.
0: Yes. guys at gmail.com. Before we get to the stories, I do have one, what I thought was a paranormal road trip experience where there was a place and I was seeing it at a different time than it originally was. Right. I, and I'm not going to get into the whole story because I've already told a couple here, but basically I, I was in Ireland, and I, I think I told this on our uh, episode 27 about the Fae, but I came to Don't this. bringing bring up the Fae. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'll be the last <laughs> time. Because I was quite scared. I was in a situation where I was very on edge. Right. And I thought, I'll go to this hotel on the, on, on the, the hill right. and I'll feel better. I'll have oh, a yeah.
1: Houses and, on hills are known for being safe havens. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> so I get there and it's all boarded up. And then as I was hitchhiking back to my hostel, uh, further down the peninsula, I mentioned that this hotel had been boarded up and someone said, no, it, it's open. Oh. And, and I ended up calling this place years later to, to determine whether or not it had in fact been ever been boarded up. And they said, no. And what? I thought, holy shit. Some, you know, I really was, was witness to something. Uh, but then I realized, no, I. You went to the wrong hill? Y- uh, yes. <laughs> ah. Yes. It was actually some crappy pub that had closed down and been boarded
1: oh. up. Oh. My God, that's awesome. So not quite as not quite as uh, creepy and majestic as I'd hoped. No, you probably shouldn't tell people the end. Uh, no, I probably shouldn't. Just tell people no. It's never boarded it up, and you knew that someone, something was protecting you from going in to the hotel on the hill.
0: I don't think I'm gonna do that because I feel like that puts me in league with certain television hosts. Oh,
1: we're not naming nameless, names, but uh, we don't want to be those people. Yeah. Well, it's what sells. That's fair. Apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Well, time to sell people some stories. Yeah, exactly. The Empty Town. Back in the 1980s, my then-wife, Jennifer, and I were on a long road trip across America. We'd lost our jobs within three months of each other and decided to relocate across country in the hopes of finding better, or at least more steady work. These events happened while we were crossing West Virginia, closer to the beginning of our trip than the end. We had paper maps, remember those, but they were really only useful for long-range planning, and we didn't have detailed maps for individual states. Maybe a couple hours after crossing the state line, we got lost, way lost, on back roads. At first, it wasn't a big deal. A left turn here, a right turn there, but as the miles on the odometer clicked past and all we were seeing was trees, I began to feel a tiny prickle of fear. When we finally drove into a tiny town, and I mean tiny, it was a cluster of buildings at most, I breathed a huge sigh of relief and the fear receded but it began to return when we realized there wasn't a single person around. Not one. Despite our having been lost as long as we had, and it was still before noon, yet every single building was locked, save for the pub, and even that was empty. There was music playing, and it looked like someone had opened the place, but whoever they were, they were long gone. Jen and I looked at each other and tried not to say what we were both thinking, but something was very wrong. It was another thirty minutes before we found another living soul, an elderly man who was walking through the middle of town. He greeted us with a wave, and when we asked where everyone was, he first looked confused and then thoughtful, and then replied that he supposed people around these parts don't get up to much before noon. I wasn't even going to pursue that, so I asked him how to get going back in the direction we'd intended. The man pointed to the road we'd come in on and said, Go that way around ten minutes, take a right, and we'd be right back on the interstate. That was good enough. We got in the car and took off. Maybe five minutes down the road, we pulled up to a flagger holding a stop sign. She told us there was construction up ahead, and we'd be waiting a few minutes. Since we had time to kill, we told her about our experience in the little hamlet, and the woman chuckled. She said the people in that town were strange, but nothing more. We ended up talking for quite a long time, maybe an hour, and in that whole time, not a single car came or went finally the woman let us go ahead and i kid you not we got all the way back to the interstate without ever seeing a construction crew signs or even another vehicle that could have belonged to the flagger when we were finally able to get back on the highway i put the pedal down so hard i got a speeding ticket almost immediately and i was so happy to see some sign of normality i didn't even care jennifer and i split up in the early 90s but we stay in touch and whenever either of us brings up that empty afternoon in that small town, it still gives us chills. So th- there's kind of this
0: uh, running theme in in all these stories, and I think you know our listeners are pretty savvy, so I think they'll pick up on it pretty soon, or pretty quick rather. It's that these stories are either a terrifying examples of the sort of ever shifting nature of reality, yeah, or b people who are really afraid of small towns and have a really bad sense of direction. <laughs> Yes. And I come from a small town. I get
1: it. Believe me, I get it. Well, you combine the unfamiliar with this sort of thing, like something out of the ordinary. Right. And you get a really weird combination because you don't know what to believe because you don't have any data to go on, so to speak. You don't know what is normal in that place. So you're going to notice things that are unusual, I think a little better than if you're just in your regular kind of life. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah.
0: There was one time, uh, about 11 years ago, a friend of mine got married in Langley, which is over <laughs> on the lower mainland. Right. And we were staying in a motel not far away from the country club where he got married. And next to the motel was a bar. And we had a whole night to kill. So we thought, well, we'll just go get drunk and right. you know, go have fun. And of course, this is my the heady wild days of my youth. Right. We went next door and there was this weird cabling everywhere in the parking lot. Hmm vans and trucks and there was no one in the bar and
1: Whoa.
0: the prices seemed really low. And we thought, are we on a movie set? You know, is there, are they shooting here? Sure, and, yeah, yeah. And finally, you know, a waiter came out and, and we, I remember asking him, you know, is this a real bar? <laughs> kind of looked at me like I, like I've gone soft in the head and he, yeah, yeah. And we explained everything. He goes, oh yeah, no. He said, they are shooting a movie nearby. Oh, but he okay. said, no, this, this is a real bar. And we just. <laughs> You know, you're used to places where the prices are garbage. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. But it was funny because we were, if you told us that this was like some kind of Potemkin built by aliens to right. uh, capture unwary drunks, we would have been like, yeah, no, that fits. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we stayed there. We literally closed that place. We were in there 12 hours. Oh my God. Yeah. closed the 12 hours. And at one point, uh, you know the actor, Michael Madsen? Yeah. So he turned up. Oh, wow. He was part of that movie they were filming. And it was the weirdest night One of the weirdest nights I've had drinking because Michael Madsen was playing pool and his son was around trying to pick up chicks who didn't care until they found out he was Michael Madsen's son. Oh, Jesus. It was, yeah, it was a night.
1: No, that's not good.
0: No. So these folks, eh, you know, you get caught in uh, some kind of parallel dimension. That's not so bad (laughs) relative to a night with Michael Madsen. (laughs) The lost day. The thing about time is that you never question it. Sure, you might sometimes find yourself wondering where the day went, or why this particular Wednesday feels like Thursday, but you generally don't question the fact that one day follows another in a series, like a line of dominoes. Or at least that's how I used to feel. You see, when I was 13 years old, my family lost a day. And ever since, I've never again assumed time was immutable. For several generations, my family has had a cabin in rural Pennsylvania. I don't want to say where, for what I think are, or at least will be, obvious reasons. To get there you follow a dirt road into the forest turning off just before a hill the road continues down to another abandoned property and then the lake our cabin is pretty rustic and disconnected from the world no tv no internet no cell service no nothing but we still loved it as kids because there were atvs and we'd ride everywhere or run around or swim it was a wonderful place to spend time the cabin was also fairly remote as far as these things go There were other properties nearby, but no one had gotten as far as building. The only other man-made thing nearby was on the property down the hill. It had once been a cabin, with a basement partially built into the hillside, and from our living room you could see the slowly crumbling remains of the basement. This story takes place after Memorial Day, when my family had gone to open the cabin after winter. My mom and dad and I got there later in the evening on Friday, and passed out early. Usually what happens on these trips is that the first night is kind of a social, usually ends early and then we have breakfast together Saturday morning. Saturday night is usually when everyone cuts loose and the drink flows. This year didn't work out like that. When I woke up Saturday morning the house was silent and there was none of the smells I'd ordinarily associate with breakfast. Coffee, bacon, and so on. Thinking I'd gotten up too early I decided to go downstairs and use the bathroom then come back up to sleep more. But when I got downstairs, I saw all the adults outside standing in a semicircle talking to two other adults, a man and a woman, I didn't recognize. I was going to go outside, but even at that age, I could feel a tension in the air. Something was wrong. That feeling was confirmed by the clock on the wall, which read 3 p.m. Now, I love that cabin, even now. And as a little girl, I loved it even more. Going there was a treat and something I'd look forward to for months leading up to it. Most of the time at the cabin I'd wake up with the sun just so I could spend more time doing things. Sleeping till 3pm was not something I'd ever done before. The adults came in before too long and started making breakfast, but that undercurrent of tension, it was still there. When one of my aunts left the room to get something from her bags, I followed her and asked what was wrong. She looked at me, then took me by the hand and led me outside. She pointed down the hill to the property where that old cabin used to be. In its place was a sprawling country house, with a parking area full of vehicles and ATVs. She said the owners had come by to say hi, and had invited us all to hang out with them and their family, as they were having a holiday get-together too. I was all for it, after all they had some pretty cool ATVs, but my aunt reminded me we hadn't had breakfast yet. Back inside, everyone was eating and chatting and generally pretending like everything was normal, but it clearly wasn't. Finally, I just spoke up and asked, and my aunt looked at me strangely. She asked me if I'd ever seen that building or those cars there before. I admitted I hadn't, but asked if maybe it had been built during the winter. At that, my grandfather spoke up, saying he had been here in December to winterize the cabin, and there had been no construction then. And anyways, once the snow started falling, it would have been virtually impossible to build anything on the hillside. I still didn't really get it and wanted to go play with the ATVs, but my grandfather put his hand on my shoulder and said I absolutely could not. He said something strange was happening, but he didn't know what, and that I needed to listen to him. That couple hadn't behaved properly, he said, though I took that to mean they had been rude. The full weight of what was going on didn't click for me, but I noticed all the adults staying busy either inside or behind our cabin. No one went out front in view of our new neighbors. The tension escalated again when we were getting ready for bed, and my grandfather loaded four shotguns and handed them to the men in the family. I didn't know what they were preparing for, but... I went to bed and had a terrible night, full of bad dreams. The next morning I awoke to the expected breakfast smells which made me less sad about it being our last day at the cabin. I ran downstairs and sat at the table. According to the clock it was 7.30 and so I asked my aunt what time we had to leave. She looked at me quizzically and said, we didn't leave till Sunday, which I was fairly certain it was. She said to me, we just got here last night. There was something about the way she said that and the look in her eye suggested something still was off. I pushed my breakfast back and went outside to find the country house down the hill gone, and the crumbling ruin back in its place. After that, I don't know how, but my mind just gave in and I treated it like any other day. I rode around on one of my grandfather's ATVs, the adults visited outside and played games. It was just another holiday. The sun was shining and we didn't have a care. It wasn't until Monday at school that reality came crashing back. I was summoned to the office and asked why I hadn't been in class on Monday. Confused, I told the school secretary it was Monday, but she shook her head and pointed to the calendar. It was Tuesday, and not only had I missed Monday, but the school had phoned my parents the night before asking why I hadn't been present, and they'd simply hung up. We lost a day, but no one wants to admit it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, when we put together these stories, and and like I said, you know, I… I think some of our listeners will hit on this. There are some that I kind of think,
1: that's too good a story. Well, and you know, when you're a kid, you can have pretty intense dreams. That too, yeah. And this, to me, seems like a really intense dream. Oh, interesting. That this kid had, which is why it wasn't the time they thought it was. Right. And when they went back to school, I can absolutely see, if you're a young enough kid, who cares if you miss a day of school? Right. So... If you're having a good time with the family, you've gone up to the cabin, I would absolutely keep my kid an extra day out of school. Right. As I'm sure you would with Nathaniel and Kiki. Um, I hate you so and, much. <laughs> and so I'm just thinking, no, you had a really intense dream. Yeah. And again, I, I want to believe it because I love
0: the idea. Oh, of I love sh- that idea. Shifting reality and sort of the sense of creeping unease because, you know, I'm, I'm a masochist. Yeah. <laughs> but- Yeah, it it just seems a a
1: bridge too far. I just think this kid had a really intense night after traveling up to the cabin. Right. Had some very intense dreams. Right. And then the weekend proceeded as planned.
0: Yeah, that that could very well be, you know? Because it reminded me a little bit of that other story we decided not to include. Yes. And that was, I
1: don't remember the specifics of that. You found it, but. Yeah, no, it was just a story about they went to a town and the only person there was a gas station and the guy's like, oh, you need to get out of town because tonight's the reaping or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. I and, think then, it was... and then people drive up and they're like, are these our guests for the evening? Right. Twirling their mustaches. It, it, pretty much. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, no, let's not. Yeah, like, come, that's, come on, guys. Come on. It just sounds like a cheesy Netflix movie, to be honest with you. So a Netflix Christmas movie. Oh, God. Yeah. That, Netflix Christmas movies and Hallmark Christmas movies are about the same. Yeah, level. I was going to say they're interchangeable. They really are. Although I don't know what the Christmas movie industry is going to do now that Lori Lachlan's going to jail. So <laughs> we'll just, it's all going to come to a crashing halt. And Becky, choices were made. <laughs> choices are made. Our next tour is called Late Last Night and the Night Before. My hometown is near what's known as the Niagara Escarpment. A long cliff of stone that runs from New York State through Ontario, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Illinois. You might think you've never heard of it, but it's what the Niagara River plummets from to make Niagara Falls. The part of which which runs near to our hometown is known for its climbing and shallow caving. It's not easy going, there's a lot of crawling involved, but if you're young, motivated, or both, it's a real adventure. At the time this story takes place, I was both young and adventurous, as are my friends, and so we were exploring the cliff face when we came upon an entrance we'd never seen before. It looked fairly deep, so we decided to venture in and see what it was like. As I mentioned, most of the caves on this face were shallow, so we hadn't brought flashlights, and that meant we weren't comfortable exploring this cave too deeply. In what little light was available, streaming as it was from the entrance, we could see the cave was unusually clean. Usually, those in this area were full of trash and beer cans because some people really suck. This one, though, it was totally clean, but something was off. We heard things in there that I still can't quite describe. Still, we went further in, our lighters now providing a dim glow from which to observe the stone world around us. Frank, the smallest of us, was the first to feel something actually touching him in the half-light. But then the rest of us had the same we were poked and pulled by something in the dark, which we assumed was one of the others messing around. It was only when we compared notes afterwards that we realized none of us had touched the other. There was still more cave to go, but something in me said we should head back, and so I suggested to the group, who all readily agreed. It was a short walk back to the opening, and when we got there, the sun was setting. We'd gone into this cave at midday and been in there maybe half an hour, but according to our watches... A full three hours had passed the following weekend. We came back with flashlights prepared to explore that cave properly. And you know what? It was gone. Or if it's there, we had somehow completely forgotten where it was because despite repeated attempts, we've never been able to find it again. I have been
0: in exactly one cave in my life. I have no intention of ever going in another. And the idea that there is something out there that, uh, may or may not appear and disappear possibly with me in it uh, makes me feel like I'm justified in that decision.
1: Yeah, if I have to struggle through a small opening to get into some other part of the underground death trap, <laughs> I'm not doing it. No. Um, I just read an article actually about I think it's called the peanut cave or the something in which there is still a young man uh, stuck in that cave. Really? Um, yeah, he died in there and this is modern times. This isn't that long ago. Apparently there's just this one tight part and he had gone too far into it and could not back out. They sent in rescue teams. They could not get him out and eventually they sealed the cave up and so no one else would go in Um, and he's still in there. Jesus. And this is just a regular guy experienced in caving. Who got himself in a literally a tight spot that there something to do with his ribs you know like your ribs will go down but they can't I don't remember exactly what it was but it was oh just reading it made me feel sick yeah it's freaking me out just sitting here thinking yeah, about it and I'm not good with small spaces anyway as we've talked about my MRI experience <laughs> of course um and so stumbling through a cave while bombed on pot chocolate probably not a great plan if that's the only way I can do it um so yeah no no no. <laughs> To our listeners out there, there is a Japanese um,
0: manga artist or uh, author named Junji Ito, and he did this story called the uh, the Enigma of Amagara Fault. And this reminds me of that. Hmm. Um, you, actually, you might even—I don't know—it's it, horror, but you might like it. it. It and it's it's a short story done in graphic novel form, but it's about this cliff face that uh, ends up exposed. I want to say after an earthquake or something, right? But it appears to have perfectly shaped holes for every person. Oh no. And you just go in and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and then you stay. <gasps> and it's just, it,
1: it's just. So it's like it will take you in, but it will not let you out. Yeah. Oh my. God.
0: And it's almost like you, it's a perfect fit for you. Everyone is individual to a person. Wow. It's, it's chilling. I mean, Ito did this book called Uzumaki, which is a huge, huge manga. It, it weighs about 600 pounds. Um, but it is probably one of the most affecting works, not probably, it is one of the most affecting works of horror fiction I have ever read. Wow. From the first page, it's black and white art. Yeah. But from the first page, it has this, it weaves this spell and it just does not let you go. And it shows you some of the most awful body horror you will ever see. Ooh. Just in two dimensions in comic book panels. Crazy. It's really chilling stuff. So if you guys are out there, if you haven't heard of Junji Ito and you like horror... Go check them out and make sure to check out Uzumaki. It will,
1: it will mess you up. It's that kind of horror. So I guess to add to Ian and Bren's list of how nature is trying to kill you, uh, we have forests, obviously, Uh, and now we can add caves. Oh, and the ocean. Oh, yeah. The ocean, everything in the ocean wants you dead. It's true. And Australia. So we're back to just don't go outside. Just stay home. That's fair. Stay home.
0: Order in. I I have no problem with this. The Village. I spent years working graveyard shift and it permanently screwed up my sleep schedule, so my hours aren't far removed from that of your average vampire. Kind of sounds like me, actually. (laughs) Nowadays I work as a freelancer, so when I'm not working during the night, I take long drives, and since I live in the eastern US, there's no shortage of little towns to run through in the hours leading up to sunrise. This story takes place on a night ride through rural New England. It was foggy as hell, which isn't unusual in that area, At first, I was able to more or less keep up to the speed limit, but over time, the fog really crowded in and I had to drop my speed. Then my goddamn headlights went out. The low beams, I mean. I still had high beams, but in fog, those are worse than useless. So the situation was this. Slowly driving, all alone, on the back roads of an area I didn't know, with no way of seeing through the fog surrounding me. This is a bad enough place to find yourself, but things can always get worse, as proven to me when the car started to die. Just stopped. I coasted to a safe spot at the edge of the road and popped the hood. Now there are maybe three or four things I know to check on an engine but apart from that I know jack shit about cars. So I tightened or examined those three or four things then sat flummoxed against the hood of my immobile vehicle. My cell phone had no signal. The fog was so thick it blocked out the sky and whatever noise there may have been and it had been a long time since I'd seen another car. This was literally the setup for a horror movie so there was no way in hell I was leaving my car. Instead, I locked myself inside, laid the seat back, and slept. When I woke up, the rising sun was in the process of burning away what remained of the fog, and I was inexplicably parked on the main street of a small town in front of a large old house. Something didn't feel right about this. I was certain I had been in the woods, and if I had been in this town, how the hell was there not a single light during the night? I walked to the service station a ways up the road to ask for help, and one of their mechanics followed me back to the car. The first thing he asked was for me to give the engine a try, and it turned over right away. Not only that, both headlights worked. I managed to stop myself from cursing, thanked the mechanic, and started driving. Somehow through all of that, I never got the name of the village. And though I know how hokey this sounds, was never able to find it again on any map. It has to be out there, right? Right? So I love stuff like that. (laughs) Haha, yeah. And weirdly, um, I've actually heard something like this before. When I did Coast to Coast, someone called in to say that they were, I want to say outside the town of Field, D.C.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a weird area. Is it? I've never really spent any time there. Yeah. It's a very weird place. Um, I actually drove through that town because it kind of drew me in with its weirdness. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense or this
0: will make sense then because this guy told me that he was driving through Field Or sorry, he was driving past field and he had the same thing. It was late. Yeah. And his car, his headlights went. Oh wow. And so he thought, oh shit, okay. Uh whatever, I'll switch to the high beams. But then the car started to go. Oh no. So he coasted down the off ramp into field. Yeah. Parked up at a service station. There was no one around. Yeah. So he went around looking for someone, there was no one. And he, he actually started knocking on doors. Right. He was so freaked out. No one answered. Oh, wow. No porch lights, no inside lights, nothing. Huh. And then I, I think he may have slept in his car and in the morning, that was fine. Isn't
1: that weird? It's bizarre. Yeah. I could see that about Field. Interesting. So yeah. what's your read on the place? I don't know. It's a very odd energy. It was almost as if each of the old buildings had something to tell. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it, just so our listeners know, the town of Field is a small town in... Uh, in the Rocky Mountains. In the Rocky Mountains, yeah, um, in Western Canada. Towns that are situated in the mountains often have weird energy. As I am from one, I can... It's uh, true. Can vouch for this, yeah. Uh, Field, especially for some reason, I I wish I could define it for you. Really? It's this low hum almost, and it, it pulls you in. You want to be there. I don't know what it is. And each of these towns, it should be said... A river runs right through the middle of it. Ah, well, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? And Rebelstoke too, right? There's oh, a big...
0: it, not only does it, are there two
1: huge rivers which converge at Revelstoke. The town is uh, completely shot through with underground streams. There you go, huh? There you go. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But it's a very odd feeling. The fact that the town of Field drew him in, I wonder why. Yeah, it I, did clearly, I, oh, absolutely did. But I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll never know. Interesting. Dance Like Someone's Watching. Back in the early 2000s, my wife and I moved out of eastern Texas to New Mexico. To avoid traffic on roads, we decided to do most of our driving at night. And I have to say that seeing the landscape change from hill country to desert under the glow of the moon was a unique experience. My wife and I separated amicably a few years ago, but we both have fond memories of that drive. Sometime around 2 a.m., we found ourselves in need of gas and just happened to be rolling through a real small town. The kind of place where there's so little to see you just about miss the reduced speed sign on the way in. It was at the far end of town, just before we were about to pick up speed again, that we found the service station. The station was old, and I mean old. No lock on the pump, no prepayment, even the readout itself was the old clicking readout. There was no electronics anywhere to be found. I grew up paying before you pump, so I wandered into the station. At first I thought it was closed. After all, there was only one light on in the far back, and it wasn't much brighter than the moonlight outside. It was also completely empty. The only sound a tune I couldn't place, coming from a radio I couldn't see. The music was an upbeat piano piece. As I moved closer to its source, I began to hear a shuffling. The hairs on the back of my neck went up. Something about this place chilled me right down, but I wasn't completely sure what. My instincts told me to leave, but I wanted the gas and after all, I was probably just being silly. Slowly, I crept towards the back of the store. The music was coming from around a corner, and when I rounded it myself, I wasn't quite sure what to do. The music came from a large radio, and next to it was a man in his early 20s, dancing. In and of itself, that would be fine, but the way he was dancing had nothing to do with the music. Like I said, it was kind of an upbeat ragtime piece, and He looked like he dropped a tab of ecstasy, rubbing his hands all over himself. I desperately wanted to get the hell out of there, but somehow I managed to force myself and say, hey man, can I get some gas? Dude just kept dancing. I tried it again, louder. Hey, can I get some gas? He slowed his roll, opened his eyes, and took me in. But he looked, well, he looked hungry, and I didn't like it. Silently, he came out from behind the corner to stand behind the register. I laid $20 on the counter and said, The full 20 please, but he just kept staring. I slowly backed out through the door, hoping he'd turn on the pump, but he never once looked away from me. I was able to gas up, so he either did something when I wasn't looking, or the pump was just always open. After that, I got in the car and drove like hell out of there, telling my wife about the strange scene on the way. Just before the station got too far away to be seen in my rear view, I looked back, and the young man was still standing there, right where I'd left him, and that $20 was still on the counter. So at this point, you're thinking, who cares? You went to a gas station at ass o'clock and disturbed some poor kid on the night shift who decided dropping X was a better use of his time than staring out the window. And if not for this next bit, I'd agree. A few months later, we were coming back the same way, to visit family, and since that station had become kind of a running joke between my wife and I, we decided to stop by in the daylight and see what it was like. Well, it was gone. Not only was it gone, but the lot where it had been was gone too. There was no gravel, no concrete, just grass. Usually the process of removing gas pumps and tanks is a long one, and the land takes a while to recover, but there was no trace of anything having ever been there at all. My money is still on a bored teenager on ecstasy. <laughs> you know what though? We have heard this kind of thing before. Do you remember that one we did on France and that hotel those people went into? Oh, of course. Yeah. Do you yeah, remember yeah. that? And and it was really old and broken down and yep. they knew something was wrong and they left and then only discover it wasn't there at all. That hotel's not there, yeah. It's the same kind of thing. Like I wonder if we stumble into these sort of Memories of places, maybe.
0: But I, but what about horny guy? Because that dude sounded like he wanted the D. That that's one thousand percent what that was.
1: Well, I think maybe that was just that was a thirsty ghost. Well, maybe he just was killed there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And his horny ghost remains to <laughs> this day. <laughs> At least they got some gas. I mean, it's got a happy ending, right? Yeah, I, I guess it does. Mm-hmm. Not the kind you'd expect, but nope. a happy
0: ending all the same.
1: Yeah. Well, oh God. <laughs> Not the happy ending the young attendant was looking for, sadly. <laughs> I
0: want that story. No, actually, no.
1: We, we had an episode about that and it didn't go well. Yeah, exactly. We are never, ever going to do that kind of episode again. Honey, I fucked a ghost. <laughs> Comes out zipping up his fly. Oh. What it took so
0: long. Uh, <laughs> we should go. Uh. <laughs> On the Range. In the heady days of my youth, I wasn't good at very much, and so I drifted from job to job, trying to find something that fit or at least kept my interest longer than a month. I was a mover, a cobbler's assistant, a landscaper, and at one point a rancher. The ranch thing came about unexpectedly. I did a couple nights in jail for getting into a bar fight one Friday, and my cellie was a ranch hand who was in for the same. We hit it off over the weekend, and when they decided not to proceed with charges on Monday, he brought me back to the ranch and vouched for me. The ranch was way out in the boondocks, and believe it or not, I actually took to the work. I'd ridden a horse growing up, so the learning curve wasn't too bad, and after a while, the boss started bringing me along on cattle drives. Somehow, I'd gone from mover to landscaper to cowboy, and you know, I loved it. It fed my sense of adventure. Sometimes on those drives, you'd find abandoned houses, encampments, and sometimes even whole towns, seemingly in the middle of nowhere. One place we stumbled across, though, it was different. Maybe it's my imagination, or maybe I'm right, and Out there in the fringes of the world, things bleed through in ways we can't understand. Here's what happened. We'd been out on this particular drive a while, and were moving through a desert area when we came upon this lovely little town in a canyon. It was a rough-looking little spot, but they had a full-on By Jesus diner, all chromed out like it was still the 1950s, and the fawns was inside beating on jukeboxes. It was completely out of place there, but spend enough time crisscrossing America and you get used to things not quite matching up. Some of the guys were real enthused at the idea of a full meal after weeks on the trail, so the ones who didn't care to go in offered to stay with the cattle while we ate. The head wrangler Dale went in first and I followed after him, stepping past him when he stopped abruptly inside the door. Dale's hand, which felt like it was made of cast iron, gripped my arm, preventing me from going any further. The diner was full of people, though they were all dressed in retro clothes that seemed even more out of place than the diner had been. Once I noticed that, I also became aware of the oddest feeling in the air. An electricity, almost. We were used to making an impression on people when we walked into a place. After all, we were covered in dust and grime and probably looked out of time ourselves. But this was different. Every single person in that diner was looking at us in shock. Dale didn't say a word, but he started backing out of there, and the other guys followed suit. We went back to our campsite. Dale didn't talk about it again until we had finished that drive. Now, as you might have understood already, he was a hard old man. He'd been living this life for a long time and wasn't much for talking. He was a good, kind man, one of the best I've ever met, but he wasn't given to extravagance in word or action, and when he spoke, you listened. One night around the campfire, Dale finally brought up that diner. He said that he somehow knew we weren't meant to be there, or even to see what we saw. He felt as though we had stepped back in time, and those people were somehow stuck there in a loop of some sort. And if we'd stayed, we'd have been stuck there too. That sounds like absolute nonsense, I know. But coming from the most level-headed man I know, I had to at least consider the possibility. To this day, I don't know what we saw or what would have happened if we'd stayed in that diner.
1: Okay, so I can get the diner appearing out of nowhere weirdness and the people in retro clothing. I don't buy the, if we go in there, we're going to be trapped in their loop. I don't believe that.
0: I wonder though, if that's just the kind of thing, like a conclusion someone jumps to.
1: Probably because they, they feel a sense of foreboding or danger or fear. Yeah. So that's where they go to like, oh, if we do this, this will be the outcome. Right. Where realistically, I think it either would have just not been able to sustain itself. Right. Or I don't know, but I don't, yeah, I don't think they would have been trapped forever in a 1950s diner.
0: Yeah, it's a little too Twilight Zone. <laughs> a little bit. It, it does remind me though of one of my favorite stories I've heard on Jim Harold's campfire, which is the story of the Roadhouse. Uh, and I, I don't, I, you and I have talked about it in past, but uh, if you haven't heard that, go, listen, go look it up on, on Jim's site. Jim, I will, I will always give Jim a plug. Jim is a legend and uh, he has done a lot of good for us. So yeah, but anyways, check out that story. You'll, you'll see it bears a, a lot of resemblance to
1: this one. The Black Ocean. My father used to run a business that rented out 4x4 vehicles to foreigners who wanted to explore rural Africa. These cars were practically indestructible, almost never breaking down. And my father worked hard to make them that way, since if they did break down, he would have to go get the thing. This story concerns the trip to get one of those broken down 4x4s. The customer had broken down in Namibia, which was about 20 hours away from where we were in South Africa. And since school holiday was coming up, my father asked me if I wanted to join him on the road. I was thrilled, as he didn't often do that, and we set off. The trip out there went fine. We hooked up the broken vehicle without any trouble and began towing at home. It wasn't until after dark that things started to go sideways. At the time, I was 16 years old and knew the countryside quite well, both from visits and lessons in school. Apart from the usual geography and political stuff, I also knew it had some intense stories about spirits, ghost towns, and so on, but I was a smart-ass teenager and thought those were just stories with no basis in reality. Boy was I wrong. It was around 2.30 in the morning on the return drive and I was napping in the passenger seat when my father woke me up. He was uneasy, which was out of the ordinary for him as he's a pretty cool customer. He then asked me to look in the rearview mirror and tell him what I saw. I told him I saw what looked like bouncing headlights right close to us. At that point in the journey, we may as well have been sailing on a black ocean. The moon above was covered by clouds, and the hills around us swallowing up what little light there was. We were alone in a way you can only be in Africa. My father didn't even know exactly where we were. He said he'd been following the GPS, and asked me to see if it indicated there were any towns nearby. Of course, there weren't, We were sailing that Black Sea for another 300 kilometers at least. He then said, watch this, and swerved the vehicle into the center of the road. The bouncing lights followed, like they were tied to us. We went back into our lane. It's probably a truck, he said without much conviction in his voice. I suggested letting it pass, and so we slowed the vehicle and our towed cargo to less than 60, then drifted into the hard shoulder. The lights followed. We shifted down to 40, then 20, and finally at 20 kilometers an hour, we heard the groan of an engine and a truck started pulling up next to us. These roads are winding and at different elevations. So it's not wise to overtake to begin with, let alone so slowly. And yet this truck just would not pass us. It was the kind of truck that has a two level bed for hauling cars, but it had no cargo and the back was all mangled and held together by canvas and wood. The chains, which would usually secure the cars, were swinging wildly in the dark, banging into the steel frame of the truck with a horrible rhythm. Finally, I looked toward the cab. There was no one driving. My father slowed down even more and stopped. Ahead, the road curved away to the left, but the truck wasn't stopping or even making a pretense of turning. It sailed off the embankment and down the hill, finally stopping at the bottom. Then and only then did the lights turn off. I asked my father if we should try to help them, but he only pressed his lips together and shook his head. We spent the night at a rest stop not far away and returned to the scene of the accident in the morning. Not only was the truck gone, there was never any any indication it had ever been there. No tracks, broken bushes or branches. It was as if this thing just never existed at all. You know, my
0: wife has been in Africa. I have not been there, and uh, I would love to road trip it, but I don't think I'm I don't think I'm brave enough. I'm not to just handle the isolation. No, and knowing that even if you are you know sort
1: of near people, there's a huge cultural gulf. Well, near people is relative. I mean, they were 300 kilometers from the nearest town. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> Even in Canada, I don't think we have 300 kilometers on main roads between towns. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, you know, Maybe up north.
0: I think between Revelstoke and the nearest town is 75. Yeah, like not 300. No. No. No, that's wild. No. But uh, I, I love the, the, the chains. Oh, Very like Ghost of Christmas Past. Not
1: cool. <laughs> Yeah, no, that would be truly terrifying, I think. White Light
0: When I was a child, I had a bit of a fascination with the dead. I know, I know, with true crime podcasts now, that's not particularly unusual. But in Carrie, back in those days, you were looked at a little askance for having such interests. I used to spend a lot of time poking about the graveyard nearest our house because sometimes you'd find Norman art and bones. Again, it was a hobby, and I, I won't be judged. On one visit to the graveyard, I was chased out by four members of the Ordnance Corps, who appeared to be walking from grave to grave. Uh, The Ordnance Corps were bomb disposal in Ireland, just for background. I believe there's also an Ordnance Corps in the USA, but the story refers to the one in Ireland. To make sure I got their point, two members of the Ordnance Corps pointed their rifles at me and told me to get out, which was more than enough convincing. When I got home, I told my mother what had happened, and she thought they must have been after some unexploded ordnance from the Civil War. This happens more than you'd think. Just earlier this year, up Klontarf, Ordnance Corps disposed of a Civil War-era grenade they said was still dangerous. It was a slow afternoon, so the family decided to head back to the graveyard and watch the process, from a safe distance, of course, and so we all piled into the car. The last thing I remember was making the turn to the junction nearest the graveyard. Then I woke up in a field next to it, my head banging. Once I had my bearings I started shouting for the others and the voices of my family came from all over the graveyard. I climbed the wall and saw my brother laying the wrong way over a bench and my doc coming out of the old church. Later he said he woke up sitting against one of the walls. The car was parked askew like it had been abandoned in the middle of the car park and my mum was passed out over the wheel. When we woke her up she had the most horrid look on her face and she immediately said we needed to go now. Back into the motor we went and away. My dad, brother and I remember nothing past the junction, but mom remembers just a little further. She said she saw something, then a bright white flash, then we woke her. None of us have any idea what happened, and it bothers us just to think of it, but I need to know. What did we see? Keep driving. One time I was driving between Texas and Alabama with my friends Rick and Mike. We left home at midnight and had planned to drive on through till morning. Around 3 in the morning, I noticed the tank was getting low, maybe 100 miles left to it, and according to the map, the next town was 90 miles away. It was going to be tight, but I figured we could make it. About half an hour later, we rolled up on a small town that wasn't on the map, but had a few houses, convenience store, and most importantly, a gas station. The guy manning the counter in the station was huge, maybe six foot six or even taller and gaunt like a skeleton wrapped in leather. When I put the money down on the counter, he said the strangest thing to me. He said, You seem like a good guy. Get in your car and keep driving. Get gas the next town over. I had no idea what to say to that, so I told him I couldn't do that because I didn't have enough gas to get there. I remember saying, I was lucky enough to find this place. I didn't even know it existed. And I'll never forget what he said back. It doesn't. At that, he actually reached down, picked up a jerry can, and put it on the counter. There are two gallons in here. Take it. Get 15 to 20 miles out of town. And then drop it in your tank. Don't do it here. Now please, get out. When someone tells you to get, you get. And I left town with my sleeping friends. On my return trip, I wanted to bring the man back his jerry can, but I wasn't able to find the place again. It's like it was never there. Maybe he wasn't kidding when he said the place didn't exist. Again with the phantom gas. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's a thing, right? I mean, you're, so many of these stories you're going to be from the road. Right. You know, and, and you always end up, like, I, I remember uh, my friend, you know, when we drove from Austin, Texas to, uh, I want to say Loveless or something like that right. in, in, uh, in Texas, we drove all through the night. Yeah. And quite often on that trip, we found ourselves driving at night. Uh, he's going to be listening to this. Hello, Mike. <laughs> and yeah, so I kind of think, That part doesn't surprise me. Right. But the keep driving thing fascinates me because even if, even if we take away the, I couldn't find it again. Yeah. I believe that part. Sure.
1: Well, you know, bear farm.
0: Bear farm or, (laughs) well, there was that little town I rolled into and uh, I was standing there with friends. I was quite young. We were, we checked into this God awful motel and then I went back to the gas station where we gassed up because the young gal at the counter and I had gotten along pretty well. So oh Lord. I was, I was very young at the time. I was maybe 20, 21. Right. And so I went back to chat her up and she, I said, what, you know, what's going on in this, in this little town of a night? And she said, well, there's these uh brothers who own a house just at the edge of town. They have a couple big parties a year and tonight's one of them. That's why it's so empty around here. Right. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. I mean, can anyone go? And she looked at me and said, Jesus, no. She said, they'll kick the shit out of you. Well, that's that then. <laughs> I'll never forget that. There's these two brothers. They have these parties. Could I go? Oh no, they'll be. No, no, no.
1: They'll kill you. Interesting.
0: (laughs) town, Right. So yeah, we stayed in our hotel room, got quietly drunk and then uh, kept moving the next morning. Good plan.
1: Our last story is called lights out. There's something about old gas stations on lonely stretches of road that sparked the imagination. I'm a sketch artist, and over the years I've made a solid hobby out of photographing and drawing such places as I, come, as I come across them. While that might seem like an odd preoccupation, there's a very good reason, and it stems from a road trip I took in my 20s. This would be sometime in the 1980s, and I was driving across the desert with my best friend Scott. We'd left L.A. sometime around 10 p.m., hit Vegas around 2, and continued north, stopping for gas just after 3. Past midnight, the desert is a hell of a place. You're surrounded by a darkness that's broken only where the horizon meets the sky. Seeing it all from underneath the halo of a parking lot street lamp, it's like you're marooned on an island in the night. The parking lot we, where we found ourselves belonged to an old-school white timber gas station that was more common then than now. The pumps are analog, and pulling onto the lot rang a bell inside the building. It was Scott's turn to pay for gas, so he went into the station and I leaned against the warm metal of the pump, the gasoline smell burning my nostrils in a not unpleasant way. Ours was the only car on the concrete apron, and it had been a while since we'd seen another. This wasn't that uncommon for that particular highway back then, so I didn't think much of it. Scott had only been in the station a few moments when he came barreling out, feet flying. I remember his face was pale and he shouted, Get back in the goddamn car! He was usually a cool customer and seeing him panicked was enough to forestall any questions i got back in the goddamn car and i drove for the first 10 miles scott wouldn't speak he was still breathing heavy looking behind us both behind the car and in the back seat it was scaring the hell out of me and finally i demanded an answer he said so i went inside and the place was full of people full of them as soon as i walked up to the counter to pay for gas Every one of them turned to look at me, and then the lights went off. That was it. Maybe it was a clandestine meeting of people who didn't want to be seen. Maybe it was something else entirely. I don't know, but whatever it was, we found a different station up the road and never saw that other one again. But when I do see one that reminds me of it, I take a picture before going inside, and then sketch it, just in case I ever find it again. Or it finds me. We'll be right back with our patron shoutouts and
0: listener mail. back! Thanks to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this, and of course, every other episode. We couldn't do it without you. First up, we've got our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons. They are Becca Smith, Joanne Connell, Michelle Randall. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I can't tell you what it means to us. I know I say that every time, but it is true every time. It, it is
1: true every time. It
0: makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And we appreciate the hell out of it. If you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost three guys. We have tiers at the 1, five, ten, twenty, 10, 20, and $50 levels. You get access to everything from bonus episodes to exclusive stickers, our live show, which we just recorded last night back at my place. And the live show is just an opportunity for you to hang out with us. Tell us what's going on with you. We'll tell you what's going on with us. You get to hear some stuff that we can't talk about on the main show. Ask us questions. Ask us questions. I I don't know what you'd possibly have to ask us, but you can. (laughs) So again, to get all that, head over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Next up, we have listener mail.
1: Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you.
0: We're recording this episode about a week ahead of schedule. Uh, Again, uh, recording our last episode on a Saturday really kind of threw things off. So if you're sending us an email after the release of episode 72 and you're wondering why the hell you're not on this list, that's why. We'll definitely get you on the episode after that. But for this time around, we'd like to thank everyone who wrote in, including Christina, Emily, Richard, Kimberly, Christy, Rebecca, Ruth, Brian, Denise, Emily, Sandra, and Kara. Nice. Thank you so much, guys. Again, hearing from you, your compliments, your questions, your gentle criticisms (laughs) reminds us that you're out there, that you're enjoying what we do, and that in turn makes us want to keep on going. And also, if you've got a ghost story you want to share, or even a paranormal story, it doesn't have to be a ghost story, just generally a paranormal story, send it all to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'd very much love to hear it. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, Twitter at ghoststoryguys, and Instagram at instagram.com slash ghost story guys. But if you're going to send us a story, please send it to the email address at ghost story guys at gmail.com. Otherwise they get lost. They do get lost. It's not that we don't appreciate it. We absolutely do. But, uh, sometimes hard to keep track of all the information streams, things get lost. So again, ghost story guys at gmail.com. If you want to share a story, comment, question, or
1: gentle criticism. Or, us. or a theory about the bear farm. or Yes, or a theory about the bear farm. <laughs> or
0: some kind of art about dancing clown bears. You know, just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Actually, um, speaking of great art, uh, I, I forgot to mention this on the show, but uh, our listener Sam... Sam Georgia, uh, who sells art as poor dog farm. Right. Remember he did those fantastic uh, black dog drawings. Yeah. So he did this incredible series about a month and a half ago of Wendigo drawings. Ooh. And I really, I hope he still got the prints up in his, uh, in his Etsy store because I love this goddamn thing. It's so scary. I will show you once we're off okay, air. Okay, cool. So good. So Sam, if you're still listening, which I, I hope you are, I love those things. I know I told you that on Instagram, but I want to tell everyone. Make sure to check him out. Again, you can find all the links at, at his Instagram account at Poor Dog Farm. Such great stuff. But anyways, moving on. I don't think we have anything coming up, really, although uh, we are preparing our uh, sort of kind of a greatest hits episode mm-hmm. for January. Yeah. And so if you've heard a story on this show and you just love it, it scared you or reassured you, or some combination of the two, let us know. again, that's ghoststoryguys@gmail.com, at gmail.com, and we will be rereading. Those stories on that upcoming episode, we're probably going to do about 10 of these stories and we've had a couple people get in touch already, but we still would love to hear more. Of course we have our own favorites, but we want to hear yours. So yeah, if you particularly liked a story from ghost in the machine or the haunting of France or the haunting of India, or if there's a story all the way back at, I don't know, episode 15 that you think, no, this was a good one. Let us know. We'll grab it. And, uh, maybe it might need to be updated for the new format, but that's okay. If you like it. We'll make it work. Again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and send us your favorite stories from the past Ghost Story Guys episode. That'll be for our mid-January show. And I guess that's it for upcoming stuff. Yeah. I don't have any interviews scheduled. I don't have... Everything's kind of winding down. It really is. Yeah. Post-Halloween, it's this long, slow slide. (laughs) Until we get to the new year. Yeah. And of course, we we record the mid-January episode way early so we can take most of January off. And, uh, sometimes I think we should just do that in November because November is so quiet. Yeah. You know, but, uh, I guess it gives me something to do. Keeps me from focusing on the, uh, the yawning gulf that is my life. (laughs) The inevitable march towards death. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The Lord knows I need the help. (laughs) If you want to pick up some ghost story guys merch, head on over to ghost We've got all kinds of gear over there. And if you do buy something, make sure to forward us your receipt or let us know. And send us your address, because we can't see it when you order something from them. And we will send you a couple uh, Ghost Story Guy stickers as a thank you. Our theme song was written and performed by Peter of Pizanta Music. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. If you want to find more from them, head on over to hexagram, that's with two X's, not three, dot bandcamp.com. And finally, all other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod safe music and sound effects for your next project head on over to epidemicsound.com and check them out oh and finally of course don't forget to rate and review us on itunes it helps bump the numbers and we appreciate the hell out of it also you know we kind of like when you say nice things about us we do i gotta admit it's it it's you know, embarrassing it really we do. we still kind of like it we're artists yeah. stroke the ego that's it. ruffle our hair that's it so, <laughs> well what's left of mine at least <laughs> Rub my head for luck. (laughs) All right. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. like to get us started? I would
1: love to. It's sweater season. I always look better in sweaters. <laughs> you know, I gotta say. Sweaters cover everything. At the time I was 16 years old and knew Namibia. I can't do it now. It's blocked my brain. I don't want people gawking at me.
0: Right? Not because I think I'm some kind of Adonis everyone's trying to eye hump, but <laughs> rather more people are like, is that a tiny Sasquatch?
1: <laughs>
0: Swalling? Is that a new word? Okay. I don't want that job. No! But he seems to love it, so more power to him, I guess. Good for him.
1: How you get away with it is even funnier. Oh, you dick.
0: <laughs> You're a
1: dick. I know. That's what I get for being nice.
0: <laughs> Take me for riding that new car. After tar- you call me
1: a dick, that's, that's right. what I got for
0: being nice. That's right. I'm a nice guy. Debate me. <laughs> De- Defeat me in the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> oh. Well, that got worse.
1: <laughs> that got worse. We're past the honeymoon period. <laughs> I expect you to just know. That's right. Tell me when to go. You are good to go, mm. Senor. All right. It's all the good shows. So. Oh. Cosby Show. Hello. Uh, uh, so that was what I liked. It that was okay show. back then. Well, back then I liked it. I didn't know he was creepy. Yeah. And they generally don't think celebrities can go to jail. That too. Yeah. 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 Well, Martha Stewart would like a word. <laughs> <Jesus Christ>. Very <laughs> Italian. Very Italian. Love me. Love me. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like a theme. Go on a haunted road trip, get divorced. <laughs> Our th- blah, 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 blah. Puberty's a bitch. I'm telling you. <laughs> Our last story is called "Lights Out."
0: Gorilla Radio.
1: Stop. Sorry. Do I have to do that again now? <laughs>
0: Dude, I made sure they were not separated. <laughs> it was such a good reading. <laughs> really it was. It was <laughs>